The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here today to talk about the offense from that loss to the, let's see, who did they lose to? Do we even want to remember who they lost to? The Cleveland Browns uh, on Sunday. And here to join me is Coach Evans. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? I'm always looking forward to talking football with you, Coach. So uh, we'll do this and uh, and have some fun, I hope. Uh, first of all, tell people where they can find your work and, and follow you on Whatever you'd on like YouTube, to be followed on YouTube is uh, Sip the Tally Films, and it's basically a Ravens video podcast. On Twitter is Coach Evans Nine, and I'm I'm very, very active on both of those platforms. So if you feel like you need to reach out to me, please do so. All right. So hopefully by the end of this episode, if you don't know Coach for any reason, you'll be eager to to give him a follow here. Uh, really tough loss in a lot of ways. Obviously, divisional loss, bad. Um, you know, a lot of things went inexplicably right for the Ravens to get back in that game. And then one thing went very wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. or actually one series of four plays really went very wrong uh, to, to make it not work out. It, 
which is better for you emotionally? I talked to to, to uh, Michael Crawford yesterday, and we must have spent five minutes talking about it. You know how a game will get us down and whatnot. But which is easier to lose for you? The the blowout's easier to lose. Okay. Because you know either you did a bunch of things like wrong enough that you didn't deserve to win the game, or the team was that much more better than you. Those okay. close nail biters where you can can see victory and it just fall away from you. Them, those are the ones that are tough to take. And as a fan, as a coach, you feel the same way. Yes. All right. I I I don't like close losses, but I don't like the what the bad losses tell you about the team. Like that loss mm-hmm. to Cincinnati to me is worse than this loss to the to the Browns here. So uh, anyway. The two-point conversion attempt has gotten a lot of discussion over the last day or so, and the silliness that, oh, okay, I'm tipping my hand how I feel about it, but, <laughs> but the notion that going for two is the wrong thing down nine. Where do you fit on that? I called it crazy at, you know, when it happened. Um, to me, at no point do you chase points at that time because the, 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 the psyche of the, of the players to look up and see one score down but look up there and see two with the time started running down. That that's emotionally, you know, pressing. And then when you press, you tend to tend to make mistakes. So my thing is, kick the field goal. You're down eight. You know, if you get a chance to get the ball back and score, then you go for two. And if you miss it, then you, you know, it was, it was in a safer boat. And now you got to bank on the the onside kick, which was executed flawlessly. It was a it was a nice onside kick, and they and they managed to get it. So they were going to need. They're going to need a two-point conversion one way or the other, mm-hmm. whether it's on one of those two plays or not, whether it's on one play or not. I do like the idea that you know earlier. And most two-point conversion analytics will tell you you go for the two first, not second. Most coaches will tell you go for the two second, and I completely disagree <laughs> with it. I, I got to tell you. And one of, the, one of the key ones that comes up, and Coach, you may know about this one, but the way I validate a two-point conversion chart is I look at it and it'll usually have a, a set of break-even percentages, which is the percentage you need to make the two-point conversion in order to go for two in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, w- what one that comes up fairly regularly is you're down 14, you score a touchdown. It's late in the game, although it doesn't really matter too much wh- how late it is in the game, but it's late in the game, and you should try and go for two at that point to go try and go down only six rather than uh, go for one and be down seven. And yet it's one of the most um, unfailingly chosen the other direction by coaches uh, of all plays. But if I see that on a, on a chart, it, should, it has to say 38%, or I know the chart has some mathematical errors in it. Uh, because that's, you, can, you can work it out mathematically, and it works out to 38% for, to, uh, uh, to make the first sorry, to make that two-point conversion and make it be right. But I just I, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Do you, do you use a chart when you play in high school ball? Do you use a chart like yeah, that? Yeah, it's a, it's a late-game chart. If, like, down three, a go for it, you know, kick the field goal, you know, a little chart like that. But to me, in that situation, it's good. It's good. You, you have a feel for how your team is playing at that moment. I, you know, I think you can go for good. And then if you lose on your good, that's you ain't it's your decision. It's not some computer's decision. And when sometimes computer tends to be right, but you got to go off good. Okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Lamar Jackson and the injury, obviously, the news being that it's not a high ankle sprain, uh, ankle sprain, not a high ankle sprain, is about as good as we could have hoped for, I think, given the being carted True. off the field. 
the fact that he even said in a press conference that he plans on Lamar coming out uh, Sunday night, I think, um, it says a lot. But, you know, John likes to play games, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, I think the chance is probably better than 50-50. He does not play on Sunday. And it, it, it could be 70% of that is because he, he, he's hurt and 30% of it is because they really don't want him to play and they want him to get healthy or it could be the other way around. But um, they've got to win that Cincinnati game. There's no getting around it. If they lose that, they probably lose the division and they probably more than likely are out of the playoffs mm-hmm. if that happens. Uh, so they have to win that game. And the, for that, they'll, they'll just need to have Lamar back. The Packers game, they're already a pretty big underdog, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five, six points right now. Um, and it just seems to me like it's being set up for Huntley to start again and for Lamar to come back and play in week 16. Yeah. I'm, unfortunately, I, I really don't like Lamar coming off of missed games. He hadn't been at his greatest, but um, I'd rather take a hundred percent healthy guy out there than 75% and he end up being 25%. Yeah. So I, I, I can, I can get with that logic, you know, if that push comes up, sure. Cause Cincinnati game is huge. That winning that Cincinnati game will put us three and two in the division. Uh, two and three. Two and uh, with one little one, one, one left now. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So so they they really I mean they need the win over Cincinnati to try and uh, beat Cincinnati by a game. I think they're going to lose the division to Cincinnati if they end up tied because Cincinnati to get tied will really have to go four and two in the division. Mm-hmm. So it's just it seems. It seems unlikely that without a win over Cincinnati, they can win the division. So, anyway, lots of pass rushers. The Ravens will face the rest of the way after the way their tackles played. That's not a pretty thought. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our tackles can't do anything with middle-of-the-road defensive ends, much less the, the superstars they're about to see. Yeah. I mean, they, they just got a, they got the breakfast uh, Sunday with, with Clowney and, and Garrett. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot more tough guys to come here too. We got Hendrickson against the with uh, Cincinnati. They got uh, Smith is is out, but uh, the other Smith, uh, Preston Smith, uh, is healthy. Preston Smith and um, Gary, uh, Rashawn Gary. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they're uh, they got, uh, yeah they got a couple of players. The, the, they got Aaron Donald, Von Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got T.J. Watt again. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's that's the High Smith. Highsmith has been killing them this last game. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. I mean, the whole tackle situation, I'm I'm concerned about what it means for next year already. I mean, I, I'm do, – do you have a – it doesn't really matter. I don't, I don't want to speculate <laughs> on Ronnie Stanley's health. I'm just concerned as hell about it. Uh, like all it you can do on that one is pray. Yeah. Pray that the left tackle is good and pray that we find the right tackle. There you go. I'd probably draft a left tackle who could end up playing on the right side mm-hmm. would be what I'd say. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of different things from a scheme perspective in this game. A lot of the stem from the fact that Ricard missed the game. Boyle obviously missed the game too, but the Ricard has been the guy they've had all season. And so our baseline is is from what Ricard has been doing with this offense and how, how heavy they've run the offense this year. Uh, but this is a game where they're actually more effective spreading to four and five wide during the comeback here. Yeah, it was it was different. It was a different flow to the um to the team with without recall being in there and not being in so many heavy sets that um you know and not really thinking about this until you said it that could be the reason for the slow start. Mm-hmm. The 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 heavy personnel shift 
you know, right there before game time because he wasn't ruled out to the, the uh, scratch time at eleven thirty, right? So that that may be a reason to slow start because you can obviously tell that in practice the tempo we played with a lot. They know how to do it, but you can tell it's not executed, you know, at, at top levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, th- I think. I, I don't really know. Harbaugh was really hedging his bets all week, talking about Ricard being out, saying he's very banged up. And then the thing that is usually the, the giveaway is they added an injury. They added a knee injury to him on the injury report at the last moment. And as soon as they do that, you know, the guy's probably sitting. Or if he does play, he's not going to be very good because he's because they 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 went out of their way to add that injury, probably so that they would they would not be seen as reporting their injuries inaccurately. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they basically obviously didn't have Ricard and that meant that a whole lot of things changed. And, and I've been talking about on this show all year that they've been up close to two heavies per play. And that's the combination of tight ends, the fullback and the sixth offensive lineman. But that's been up as high as 1.96 per play versus LA. Now, when you play two heavies like that per play, plus you always have one running back or almost mm-hmm. always, it means you're only playing two wide receivers per play. There's there's almost no NFL team other than maybe Cleveland who averages two wide receivers a play. Yeah, and when you say us in Cleveland, you're looking at number one and two in Russia. Yeah. We, we, we both go heavy and just in different sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, they definitely both are very tight end focused offense. The Ravens a little bit more with the fullback, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, they had no running back in this game on five plays. That's very unusual for the Ravens to to just spread out with wide receivers and tight ends across. But they did that some during the comeback, and uh, it was probably warranted. Uh, there's I, there's not a lot of point from my perspective in spreading out Freeman on those no. on those kind of plays. If you're he, not involved in the um, concepts anyway, yeah, that, that, if he's I mean, involved in the concept, it'd be different. They, yeah, that's true. It'd be a ch- like a check down. I'm just going to snap and stand here. And if you come to me late, you're wasting it. He could be blocking for you with the regular tackles we got. Yeah, I, I agree. And and the, and Latavius Murray could also, who's probably a little bit better pass blocker, could help you with that too. He, he really can put a, put a hit on somebody's ribs. But the other thing it does is as soon as you spread out of empty, as soon as they see you go to empty, the Browns are coming with four-man pass rusher virtually the whole game anyway. And they know now they can just pin their ears back and the one-on-ones they get, they're going to try and win. And the one-on-ones when it's whichever one of Clowney or Garrett gets a one-on-one is probably mm-hmm. going to win that battle. Well, and that was occasionally certain. 55. Occasionally 55. Yeah. So you get a, a mix of all three of them. It makes for a long night, you know, and even though they got after the quarterback pretty well, when you go back and look at it, it was more so 50, 50, you know, 50, 50, our tackles, 50, 50, their guy. But, you know, because our guys' job is to block them every play, that, you know, l- less success from them gets more glory than the success from the tackles. And I ain't trying to take up for the tackles. I just, you know, I don't want to completely throw them under the bus because we've been bashing them upside the head all year. But right. they have been bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they have been bad. <laughs> um, uh, what I want to say, 2.85 wide receivers per play. So the Ravens, for the first time, almost looking like an NFL offense in terms of having three wide receivers per play. Is, uh, you know, most of the NFL is run out of 11 personnel with three wide receivers. Uh, this is a game where oh, there's a lot of opportunity there. Prochet had 21 snaps. I don't know if you noticed this. He was on the left side of the formation. One of the plays late in the game was on one of the last two drives. It might have been the second to last. And he actually threw a big chip block 
which, which was very <laughs> unusual uh, that they would try and do that. I've seen Duvernay do it occasionally, but mm-hmm. Prochet is more of a wiry guy. It uh, doesn't seem like the natural thing to do. He got, he got a little fight in him because, like, you know, and then the more you can do, the more you can play. So you feel like I don't, I'm not getting but, what, eight snaps a game, if that, mm-hmm. I better make the most out of them. There you go. So you got 21 in this one. That was kind of cool. Bateman was up to 48, so no complaints from him. And he got plenty of targets. And the guy who lost out on some snaps, even though there were plenty of wide receivers snaps to go around, was Watkins, who mm-hmm. was hurt again in the game, only went 23 snaps. And I don't think he had a catch. I thought he had a couple targets that he that he missed them both. But, yeah, um, if he had a catch, it's one. But those 48 Bateman snaps, it really should be around 60. Because Bateman, I didn't really notice Bateman, and I could be wrong. I did a video earlier. Mm-hmm. His first series of plays was the last drive of the first half. Really? I think. I know it's his first okay. target. His first okay. target, his first catch was that last drive of the first half. Now, if he played before that, I don't remember. I remember looking for him because my thing is he should be getting equal to right above equal, or more than equal snaps with Sammy. And even though, you know, the numbers right here prove it, I didn't realize Sammy was hurt. But this should be the norm based off – what he sure. did in this game right here. Yeah, you're right. It was the last offensive play of the first half was his first catch, that 20-yard pass, which put him in they field goal the range. Field goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, no, I didn't know that. All right, well, that's pretty cool. Um, another thing that we've been kind of talking about is is how the Ravens have been using a lot of their eligible receivers to set and ship blocks. Now, obviously, when you, when you use more wide receivers – in a game like this, you're going to have less of that. But they still did a lot of chip blocking in this game, a lot particularly from tight end and from running back. Uh, six set blockers, so that's going to be mostly the tight end, occasionally the running back. And 12 chip blocks, that's the reverse of a kind of a normal relationship. Normally you do more set blockings, hold a guy in, um, than you do chip blocks. But that was an interesting combination here. And the, the .39 per play is one of their lowest uh, of the year, so much lower than the than the Ravens have been doing normally since all the tackle problems began. Uh, I think it it really reflects the four man rush. You normally mm-hmm. you, you coach both, so so when you when a four man rush comes, that's one of the triggers for the running back to go out without a chip. Yeah, that's. I mean, if it's in your system, definitely for you know if they only bring four and you scan and your guys got them, you mm-hmm. leak out, you know, and find get open unless they have a certain spot for you. But most part, you just leak leak out and feel. But um. The thing is, with those tackles, I mean, with, with our tackles and those ends, even if, though it was a four-man rush, he should have been staying in. Give mm-hmm. us six versus four at, at all times. Or at least a chip, maybe, on, on yes. all those places. You, 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 how often, when you're, when you're playing at the high school level, how often do you have your running back just throw his body into the ribs of an of a elite pass rusher just to make sure he, he – you, you're telling him that he's not getting a free run every time? No, we just we try to honestly we try to find the if it depends on the bat. If we got if we had Latavius Murray, he could take the eight gap rushes. But if you got a Justice Hill, we're probably gonna slide and let you have, you know, one of them guys off the edge or try to match you up on maybe the smaller, smaller linebacker. But we're not gonna, you know, purposely send you in at a, you know, bang with a six three middle linebacker shooting a gap if you're a smaller bat. We're gonna try to find a matchup that fits the the body style of the bat for their safety. What? But what about what about if your if your block is literally just a chip? So the tackle's engaged, mm-hmm. and and you have let's say the other team's rushing four regularly, and you 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 see that as a pattern. But they have one elite pass rusher rushing against your left tackle, and your left tackle is challenged by that. Does if if your system would normally be to release with a four man rush for that mm-hmm. running back? Do you ever just say, "Hey, look, 
first down here and second down the next series, I want you to just, you know, jam the ribs of that guy. And honestly, if he that elite, you just had to block the back, blocking him every time. Okay. You would just change. I would just change his his um, information and leave everything the same. But just know, you know, you got to help this guy every time. Okay. Because you can always you can always slide to and away from elite pass rusher, and then depends on which way you want your back to go on the slide, he can help. All right. All right. Um, we saw the Browns sent a five plus on just eight of the 46 dropbacks, and that included the fourth and sixth pressure. You know, what was funny about it is the Browns obviously very effective with four man pressure, but they were unstoppable when they sent five plus. When they did that, it's like the Ravens all of a sudden didn't know anything about how to block it. They couldn't figure out how to pick it up. And um, it, it looked really bad. And that fourth and six in particular, the one that went for the two yard pass to Bateman in the last offensive play, uh, that was a, it was a, I wouldn't call it a terrible um, pass and, and, or, or the fact that he got it out, it really had to be done, but it, you got to have guys beyond the sticks. I know there, mm-hmm. there should be a guy short maybe, but if he is, he's got to be moving laterally or something. It's going to at least give him a chance to get to the marker. And more, more than that, I would have liked, um, Huntley to take a chance on a ball past the marker period there. Yeah. When I watched the all 22 of it, I saw two things. I saw Mark run a seam route, which he was maybe thinking he was going to get a jump ball the way he kind of reacted. Mm-hmm. And I, at the top of the screen, I saw Pro Shea maybe yep. or Duvernay and Bateman. And, it, yeah, it looks like um, whichever one the other guy was, Pro Shea or Duvernay, didn't push his route right directly at Ward to make him change his angle of pursuit because he was just able to see the slant and just come up and tackle it and didn't have to run through Ward or any of that. That's, you know, in my eyes, that should have been a pick play. Mm-hmm. He should have got there and made Ward do something to get around him or underneath him, which would have, you know, gave um, Bateman, depending on he catch the ball, an opportunity to get up the field for the first down. And if, you know, if ran correctly, possibly get a lot more than the first down because like, they were in man. Yeah, that would have been a that would have been a sweet play. We saw a lot from Bateman after the catch in this game, so um, that's that's a that's great analysis. Now I have to go back and look at that in the All Twenty Two. Crawford gave me a couple last night too, and it's it's always fun to do this show with you and uh, and uh, learn some things that I that I need to go back and take a look at. Okay, twelve plays only with a pull among sixty seven. They had two kneels in the game, but the sixty seven uh, uh, non kneels. I'm sorry. They didn't have 60. I think they I think they had all legitimate plays in this game. I think they had all 69 were uh were real plays because yeah, the two the two deals were Cleveland, right? Cleveland yeah. definitely at the end. I can't yeah. remember at halftime. Yeah, halftime the Ravens kicked a field goal and then I think Cleveland knelt once. Oh yeah. So yeah. uh so the 12 plays, though, really take away the run action. Obviously, the state of the game has a lot to do with that. The Ravens can't do a lot of run action and make it be meaningful. It's kind of like running play action when you're down 30. You know, you can't really do it. But you, but it really takes away a big portion of the game to not have that run action. I think it gives you a chance to also get another large man tossed into Garrett or Clowney on a, mm-hmm. on a play if he's starting to get free. Uh, on a, if you want to run a pass play out of that. I think what they don't have in the playbook and what they needed that game was a lot of ball-out quick stuff. Mm-hmm. And whether it be to the flat, whether it be right up under the hook curve area, it needs to be you know varied enough to where they can't just predict what's coming. But a lot of chances to get the ball out quick and not let it be a hitch route from the right hash all the way to the left sideline 
which two of them almost got picked, but lucky Bateman caught them. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be more variation in the quick game. That'll, that'll help. You know, those those little plays can turn into muscle memory for the quarterbacks and also serve the same purpose as run plays. You don't have to go, you know, 10 to 30 yards deep or right at the line of scrimmage. you got to have intermediate somewhere. Right. So lots of slants, a lot of short in the middle of the field. Maybe some play action would, would do well, but that takes a little more yeah. lo- longer to develop. I, I, that's been a, a complaint about the Ravens offense all year is that they haven't really been able to get the ball out quickly against pressure. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's as simple as just the Ravens can't figure out a eight man blitz. It's what it, to me it is is the Ravens can't figure out the nuances that other teams run when they also blitz. So if it's Pittsburgh Steelers, it's usually a zone blitz. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're dropping, they're getting an overload, and on, on on the other side they're switching coverages and they're making life miserable for the quarterback trying to read the field properly. With the Dolphins, you know, they showed eight at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if it was eight or seven, at least, at the line of scrimmage 40 times. And they dropped out of it, though. They had two, three, and four guys drop 24 times during the game, which is just unbelievable in terms of simulated pressure. And I think that's what really gave Lamar problems. I don't think it was the um, the the numbers at the line of scrimmage. They had overloads on one edge every play. That mm-hmm. gave them problems. But it was, all, it was also the fact that they had bodies in the middle of the field with their hands flying around that were, it was giving them trouble. One route that has completely disappeared from our offense since the Miami game is the deep cross route. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen – I saw they um, um, Bateman tried to run it once this last game, but normally you get Mark or Hollywood on that a couple of times and you almost guarantee one or two of them. You haven't seen that route completed um, since Miami. They got to find a way to make space for it. I mean, it's it's it takes that takes time to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I the Ravens will have to figure it out. If they don't figure it out this year, it'll be disappointing because any obviously any chance to probably make make the playoffs, let alone have any success in the playoffs, is is completely dependent on it. But they're going to have to figure it out over the off season, regardless, and that may mm-hmm. mean. Adding things to the playbook for Roman, it could, and I guess depending on how the, these last four games finish out, mean the end of Roman in Baltimore. I, I, I'm not really for that. I think that, that Roman and Lamar is a very good combination, and I think you try and fix that before you completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Where are now, you on that? I'm going to be honest with you. At halftime, I was thinking he was done at halftime with this game. The way we were looking offensively with no real plan, not much execution, just like just throwing darts at the wall. And I really thought he was done, you know, at halftime. But the, the fight that the guy showed and, you know, in part to him because he had to call the plays. But um, I think that's what gave him, you know, an opportunity to coach next week and maybe finish the season. But at the way the way that was going, I thought he would have been done. You know, had we finished that game 48-0 or, you know, something to three or ten, I thought that was a hint for him. But, you know, they rallied around him and, you know, brought a lot of pride to themselves and came back and the defense held up in the second half. Yeah, it was that was it was really nice to see. It was really nice to see some good fight there, that's for sure. And if if they did replace him, I mean, I, I have a hard trouble believe a lot of trouble believing they'd replace him before the end of the season because I just don't know who the new guy would be. I don't know who they'd bring in from the outside. I don't know how you change it. You have to go inside. It have in in my eyes. The only guy I see qualified to do it, and I don't know, I don't know the O line coach. I know you're gonna um, say <laughs> T. Yeah, I'm gonna say T. He's the only person I know because Keith. A lot of people claim Keith because Keith's a good wide receiver, but mm-hmm. Keith didn't ever call plays. Keith always been a position technique, you know, 
wide receiver type guy. He now, not to my knowledge, calling plays. He he may have somebody fact check me and tell me I was a lie, but not to my knowledge, he hadn't called plays. Okay, I I, I think it is. It it kind of would be one of those two guys. Now, by the way, so everybody graduates from being a position coach to call plays at some point. Mm-hmm. So it could be that he's a reasonable guy for the off season to come in and install a program and figure it out. Maybe he, you know, they, they work with him in some way, bring in a specialist of some sort to help him build a playbook or whatever it would be. But, but he's a, he's a real perfectionist. If you watch mm-hmm. him at camp, I mean, he's, he's no rep is perfect. And the, the, like the highest level of praise is okay. That was okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's what a lot of these kids need. They have a lot of yes men around them. Mm-hmm. And they can have do something for about 30 minutes and they'll be, you know, best things since sliced bread. They'll have people to tell them the real. And then when they come to play the real and they fail, they phase out. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, we might see it. We might definitely see it next year. And, and also, if it gets to the offseason, it's not necessarily Martin. It's There's a whole world, oh, yeah. world to right. choose from there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about the offensive line a little bit because obviously there, there's some good and there's some bad in the offensive line. But we'll start with one of the real down points. You start with the bad news first, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The good news or the bad news. Alejandro Villanueva had his worst game of the season, and that's really saying a lot because he's had three awful games this year. <laughs> um, 68 plays. He, bl- he made only 50 successful blocks, uh, missed 10 Nine of those, nine out of ten, were losses at the line of scrimmage. And I, I separate missed blocks into cases where the guys moved into level two and missed a block. That's not a serious. You're not breaking down the play usually when you do that. You pull and you miss a pull. Sometimes that's really bad, but oftentimes it's just you can't find a block to make on a pull. Not the end of the world. You know, but you trip going into level two, not the end of the world. But but if if you lose to the guy across from you at the line of scrimmage. That is usually very bad. So yeah. he, had, he had nine of those of 10, four and a half pressures, four full and one half. That is uh, two and two thirds sacks. And we looked at the, the sack at the end of the game, the, the one on the last drive. It, it, in a way, it kind of looked like it was Phillips. It's certainly Phillips guy. Tack McKinney, McKinley got by on the outside. It's not Phillips sack. It's, it's Villanueva who let uh, his guy get right in on top of the pocket, flushed Huntley mm-hmm. and, Phillips, he deserves a little bit of a little bit of a charge, and I gave him a third of that sack. But the, but the the problem was that uh, Villanueva actually forced him south of the pocket, and that's where Phillips had forced his man. It was a good twelve to six block where he got them south of the pocket, and then unfortunately McKinley wrapped him up pretty easily on that on that path there. Because he was uh, extremely deep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we saw two holding penalties in this game, and he's just been a, a, a bag of holding. He's upset about every single one, you know. And and they seem to have a damning similarity about them, where he basically ends up with the uh, shorter man's helmet in the crook of his elbow every time. And you know, it's if it's going to get called that way, then straighten out your damn arm at a certain point there, <laughs> and it probably won't get called. <laughs> right. Moving um, your feet faster and getting better yeah. position. You could ask him to do that too. He, you know, he's been not too terrible about mirroring players this year. I think that's actually been one of his, you know, the things that he allows pressure that's not so bad. And I've talked about this on the show before, but but Lamar is pretty good bouncing off the pressure that comes from the blind side and still keeping his eyes down the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful tool that you can't really teach because he wasn't doing that three years ago. Yeah, he, he was getting any kind of pressure and dipping, take off. Yeah. 
I, I agree, and that's uh, that's really something. So uh, anyway, we came down for uh, for Villanueva. Got point one nine was a score, even with a point oh nine adjustment for Garrett, which makes up a third of his total score. Then still an F, and and he's about uh, thirty two points short of passing. So uh, <laughs> you probably had a couple of people turn in a history test to you or an economics test that that uh, was that far short of passing. <laughs> you probably want to have a little talk with them after the fact, right? Right. ASAP. Right. The the one play that stood out the, the most for me was Villanueva. If I want, if I'm not mistaken, it was the second offensive play. I think they got a sack. Yes. Um, I I don't know if it's Clowney or or um, Clowney got the sack, but it was Johnson who who was the guy opposite uh, Villanueva. So, but I'm saying what? Now I know Johnson got it, but there's somebody that went inside, and it was either Clowney or Garrett. And then when he, when the cornerback, the DB. This, the old Ram safety, Johnson, came down. He shoved Villanueva like three yards to the left and yep. tried to dive in on the set. Did you see he how was, that happened? Yes. That's what that's, that, that was amazing that he was able to give up all that to a safety. Yeah. But he, he crossed his feet. I mean, he, enormous technical error for for a tackle. But look, if you look at the thing, I mean, it's it's it's. Horrible thing, and Voss and I had a, had a, a talk about it. I, I know I saw him do it once last week, and Voss said he saw him do it twice. And I didn't want to expand on that or whatever, but you know, the, 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 getting that off balance with a safety, it only really happens when you basically are up on you know you've you've moved your feet into a position where they're too close together. Mm-hmm. So that you get unbalanced, and then you end up hopping on one foot to try and stay on your feet at all. And boy, did that look bad, though. You're right. the The amount of push he got uh, really un unlook ungoodly. All right. Uh, ready to talk about Powers? Yes. All right. So we'll do that quickly. Powers. I I think he's been pretty consistent the whole year. He's not, he's hasn't been the road grader the Ravens really hoped for. Who was going to steal the soul of young men or whatever it was opposite him? But but he's been a consistent lineman. I, this is another C game to me. He had three pressures on parts of four in this game. Uh, missed four blocks, which is which is not terrible, not great, a, a, and a C overall at the top end of the C range actually. Um, I think he's done some good things, and, and he's rated pretty highly on PFF's guards, uh, I see as well. So I, I think that consistency has been of value to the Ravens in a year where they, they haven't had anything at tackle. Yeah, he, he's a guy that you don't, you're not always constantly calling his name and wondering what he's doing during the game. Seems like a, a professional's pro, and I know he's still learning the position. So, you know, I'm fine with the job Powers is doing. But, you know, even though he has – mistakes especially against the the squattier body um mm-hmm. one techniques of threes but i'm 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 pleased with his progression can we win the super bowl with him i don't think so but okay. i'm pleased with the position and and basically i know it's not his rookie year but basically his rookie year playing football playing okay, NFL he, football he played half the season last year so I, I i give him credit for that i think he's actually been pretty decent but uh it, you know what what's funny about this stretch is even with cleveland back on the roster now and boy, the, the roster is so thin now with Cologne out for this week. Uh, but even with Cleveland back on the roster, uh, nobody's, you know, there's, there's not a lot of talk about him going back in at left guard and even splitting the time with Powers. Powers has got the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland is, for whatever reason, isn't being considered for playing time at this point. All right. And I don't know if it's still lingering from the injury or he's, those guys just beat him out. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens going to have a hard time putting eight offensive linemen 
in this next week. Sharp it will, I assume, be active again. They have a COVID call-up, so they won't waste a, a practice squad call-up on anybody. Um, but they, they have to get the eight offensive linemen in order to have 48. Otherwise, they just waste the roster spot if they just carry seven linemen. And I really don't know who else they have um, that, that they can activate. They have, I think, maybe Jared Jones-Smith or something on the practice squad who they could put in. But uh, one thing that comes up is if Bozeman gets hurt or has to miss a few plays this week, who plays center? Mm. Zeitler, maybe. That's crazy. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah. Have, have any of the, do any of those guys have center in their background? The only one I knew was was um. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Was was who? You? No, I was going to say Cologne and and Bozeman. Yeah, and McCary did at one time, but he's obviously gone too. I, and Powers, they put in for a few snaps in the preseason, and he apparently had some wild snaps, and they they called the off the experiment in the first day. <laughs> so I, I don't. I think it would be Zeitler, but you know, obviously that weakens another position, and mm-hmm. his responsibilities for making the line calls then get recoupled with his need to make an accurate snap. And I wonder if that you know, somehow makes him less effective there. So, so does uh, Powers go to left guard if that happens? I think – I mean, right guard, it, I'm sorry, right guard? Yeah, probably. I, I think Cleveland stays at left guard. I, that would be my guess. What would you think? I'm just throwing it at the wall with those guys, man, because it's really the only one you really depended on, like, to be solid, solid every week, and they pretty much producing in my eyes. Is uh, Bozeman and Zeitler. Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving them other cats around right now, it's it's nuts. Right. The schedule not helping them out, though. The no. schedule is beating them up for this next month. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Now, the whole league is going through this COVID thing right now. So, if the, if the Ravens can hold it to this one player, they'll be in relatively good shape. Because I, I don't know if you saw the Browns are missing 15 guys now for this uh, week coming week. Only the news I had heard was the Rams receiver room. Yeah. That's bad, uh, but the, but Cleveland, I, th- I believe it's now fifteen players that they have that are that are meaningful contributors that they're they have on the COVID list and they're playing the game anyway. At least that's what they say now. Hmm. It, it it would not completely shock me if they have some games canceled and played the week after the season's over this week. Cause it just looks it looks very bad right now. Is this the Thanksgiving push when your relatives come in and you, you know then you disperse back to your regular spots? Could be. Uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a good thing that the Ravens played the Browns last week, and now the Browns have a big outbreak. I'm, I, that concerns the heck out of me. Yeah, I know the Bull, Chicago Bulls had, I think they carried 12 or 15 on the roster. They had like seven out with COVID. Really? <laughs> How'd they get through the game? Would they have six or seven players? Eight. Or? Eight. Wow. Brought their, their however many of the practice squad, I think it's three. And then okay. the other six guys, they, I mean, the other five guys they had. Okay. You can get through a you can get through a college game with eight. I don't know about a pro game. It's you know it's eight more minutes. I don't know what you what you have to do. Pray. Yeah, right. There you go. Can't foul. No fouls. No fouls. Uh, let's go to talk quickly through the rest of this. I apologize for holding us up here. Bradley That's Bozeman, uh, A minus one and a half pressures in this game. Two missed blocks. Real good job by Bozeman in this game. Uh, the Browns' strength is not up the middle, and additionally, by bringing a four-man pass rush, they're really helping out Bozeman as much as anybody else. The two guards each will get an occasional solo on a three-tech, but Bozeman gets a lot of double teams with a guard, and uh, and he's in pretty good shape. He has to occasionally pick somebody up from level two, and they, they don't usually shoot for an A gap with a four-man rush. They'd usually be shooting for a B or C gap, right, with a blitz? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They'll have um, 
B or C, and probably the Mike would have the A on the other side. Mike would have the A on the other side, okay. Mm-hmm. And and you'd have um, uh, much more likely to see a slot blitz, say, with a four-man uh, pass rush than with other types. You you can, but you can really run any of those four that would be behind that front, whether it be a slot guy, uh, maybe walk a safety down, or them two backers. It really kind of depends on who's your best blitzer. That's what I would think. I would okay. send the guy that's, you know, best at, you know, figuring his way through the line with, with, with least resistance, and then you just mix it up. Okay. You know, you're constantly sending the same guy. You should be able to block it if you're constantly sending that same guy. You sure. should, unless that's the, a guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's keep going here. So he got an A-minus anyway. So Zeitler, uh, very similar scoring. Uh, missed four blocks, had only one pressure, though, instead of one and a half. Also scored a 92. In the case of guard, that's an A. At center, it's only an A-. minus. Uh, Zeitler still made four to five pulls. He's the only one who pulled a lot in this game. Uh, Powers made two out of four. Uh, but Zeitler's been still holding it together like you talked about earlier. He's one of the guys. And then we get to Phillips. And uh, I thought watching live that Phillips' game was a lot worse. In fact, I would have told you, I think, watching live that I thought his game was every bit as bad as Villanueva's. It wasn't nearly as bad. It was He, he got a D for the game, and he, he got – he, gave, he hit for the cycle in terms of all the possible negative plays. <laughs> he allowed a half a penetration, allowing a run to be stopped for a loss. He allowed two pressures. He allowed parts of two quarterback hits. He allowed a third of a sack, and he had two penalties. And offensive holding and an and a illegal downfield. I know what I wanted to ask you about this. Because this, this penalty pisses me off when it happens. Illegally downfield, when you're running within the Ravens' offense, is going to be a really serious problem for, for multiple reasons. But do you tell your own players that, hey, look, a false start is bad, but I want to impress upon you the importance of not getting downfield illegally because if you do that and the play is run, then that defense has the option to accept our lousy play if it doesn't work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a much worse penalty. And, and you know, I, I see it scored generally the same for, for multiple scoring systems that these things are equal. They're not. And, you know, how, how do you look at it as a coach? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This this penalty in question happened on a screen to Andrews or a screen to the running back. Going, I'm going to the play. Uh, it was the first play of quarter two. A pass right for five. Now I got to look it up again in the game book, but I will. This will take just a second. I think it's a screen. It was a screen. Andrews. Yeah. And so in my every football game I've known, a pass thrown behind the line of scrimmage, the lineman can go downfield. So I remember calling this BS when it happened because it was a screen, and if I'm not mistaken, the ball was caught at or behind the line of scrimmage. So he's allowed to be down the field because it was a screen. He's just gonna he's gonna gonna do his protection, then he's gonna go get somebody, you know, whoever his designated person is. So really? ball thrown behind the line of scrimmage, he's allowed to go down the field. Now I need to look up that rule too. So now I got one video thing and one rule thing to look up, but I, I need to know that for sure. Uh, uh, it seems to be a generalized problem uh, anyway. If the quarterback is making a choice between mm-hmm. hitting some target over the middle of the field that we pass the line of scrimmage and going to the outside that would be behind the line of scrimmage, that your lineman has to know which he's going for. Right. Now, the screen, like I said, in the screen and the and the blocking of the screen. It's gonna take them downfield. They, you know, okay. most generic screens are they gonna, you know, slow play it, throw the guy by, and then leak out to the flats on, you know, whichever side the screen is. One guy will probably try to go kick out the corner. 
The next guy probably try to run the alley to see if any of those smaller DBs show up. The third guy normally is coming through with his head turned back, making sure somebody can't pick up the screen. I mean, pick off the screen. Right. So with that being said, that second guy almost always going to get down the field. And as long as the ball is thrown behind the line of scrimmage, he should be fine. Okay. Now, if it was thrown in front of the line of scrimmage, you know, I'm sorry, officials, but from the way I was looking at it, and I didn't look at it when I looked at all 22, I just remember from live, he was good. And I thought it was a bogus call when it happened. Huh. Okay. He was he was downfield. There's no doubt about it. The other thing that was bad about the play is he, he also kind of gave up the quarterback hit by not making an attempt to block on, on uh, JOK on that play. Mm-hmm. But by the way, boy, is he a Raven killer already in his rookie mm-hmm. season. Uh, yeah, that, that, he's a lot better than I, I expected. I knew he was fast. Mm-hmm. But he, you know what? And he plays, he plays that middle, that not that middle line, that linebacker position like a bigger guy. Yeah, he do all the stuff the big guys do. He's just faster than them. Yep. He he reminds me not as good as this guy, Michael Par, a lower level Michael Parsons, doing okay. all the different stuff other than coming off the edge. High praise. All right. Certainly, they they drafted him really as a Lamar beater, and I think that's what they exactly what they've gotten. Okay. That takes us to the offensive line. Let's uh, let's get to what we normally talk about. Anything I want to talk about here? No, nah, not really. Let's go to the skill position players. Anybody you'd like to talk about? You're the guest. You go first. Um, just want to talk about Bateman. You know, a lot of people, you know, were praising him based off a, a clip of him beating Marlon in practice and saying he should be the guy and we should be the starter and stuff like that. But in my eyes, I was thinking, I don't, I'm not hating on the guy, but I, I need to see him do something first. Mm-hmm. But he's shown me enough to that he is the guy for us. Like he 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 him and Sammy play the same position in my eyes, and he gives us way more chances to be explosive and open the offense up than Sammy does. Sammy can get us a quick in and out, you know, curl or a dig or a hitch route or something like that. But maybe can go for people hate. And he's the only other person besides Mark Andrews that can do that. And with that threat of having a guy that can do that, you gotta keep a corner and maybe a safety back there. And that'll always open up your underneath stuff, whether it be for passing or running. But he didn't get that many snaps early. We've seen two games this year already where Anthony Averett's really gotten beat badly at the top of the route tree. And that's what Bateman can do to an opposing cornerback is he takes him right to the top of that stem. And you can see a lot of coaching. I mean, it's not that Bateman couldn't do this stuff coming out of Minnesota, but I think it's been honed with working with uh, Keith. Keith Williams, um, where at the top of the, uh, the the route, he can sell a lot of different moves. He's got real wiggle. He can make that that cornerback turn the wrong way, and he can run a different route, and all of a sudden there's four yards of separation for you that, that you didn't expect to get necessarily with Bateman's speed. Right. Uh, and, and it's it, you know what's amazing to me is he really runs a lot of different routes. It's not the same thing. And oftentimes, like you go back to Derek Mason is the ultimate two-trick pony. And, and he was great at it, but he had that back shoulder throw that he would come back to Flacco for, or he would go deep with a double move. That, mm-hmm. that, was, that was basically it. And, and other players late in their career, it's not unusual. Michael Crabtree, I think, of, uh, you know, adopted into that, where he was, he was mostly a, two tricks that he had. And it's not like they can't run any other routes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that they're not capable of anything else. It's just that it often devolves to that for a majority of plays. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's really great to have a receiver that is so slippery. Uh, you know, that's he's not Justin Jefferson. Don't, don't get me wrong. But 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 he is a guy who can give you some of what Jefferson gives you in terms of wiggle at the top of the route. And yeah, that, that changes your offense. 
And for him to do that, you know, versus starting caliber uh, DBs for the Browns, if, you know, we want to give him that much credit, <laughs> that that to me, you know, shows me that he's willing or needy, needing to be out there to help his offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it's not an ego thing that got him sitting over there. But after this week, I don't think there's no no question that he should be heavy in the rotation, if not you know, one of the guys. Hey, he'd, he'd probably be the number two guy the rest of the season behind Brown. Brown ended up playing, I think it was all but about five snaps in this game, which is a very heavy workload for him. He's never seen that before. Uh, and he's also, I think he's a player – if you're running him deep a lot and they didn't run Brown, they, they didn't run as many verticals period, but mm-hmm. they did, if, if you're going to run a lot of verticals with Brown, he needs to be replaced. He needs to come off the field and tap out whenever he's tired. You want to get fresh legs on there. The Ravens got enough guys now at wide receiver. They can actually do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Even if you're on decoy, I just hate that. You know, I saw two, maybe two, I know definitely uh, deep shots to Hollywood and both. I think he won on, if we can hit in either one of those two shots, I think, you know, we're looking at a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That, uh, that, uh, definitely had opportunity there with him. Down the right sideline in particular, the one thing I'm thinking of where there's a safety coming over, he's way late, mm-hmm. and, the, and he'd beat the corner. All right. Uh, Mark Andrews, one of his best games, uh, really since the Chargers. He had all caught all 11 balls thrown to him. That alone is terrific. But Andrews needs to make his game about yards per target and uh you know to to a lesser degree it's about first downs but but he, he which don't get me wrong they're all converting with mark andrews on third down if you need if you have third and fourth and one and you and you throw a two yard pass to mark andrews that's worth 10 yards to me but <laughs> it, but i also want to see andrews generating more yards per play generating more yards after the catch doing more catching a higher percentage of balls, which has been a problem off and on throughout his career that he goes into slumps where he just doesn't catch a ball, the high percentage that he does. And also not creating turnover opportunities for the, for the opponent. When he mm-hmm. catches all 11 balls thrown to him, he, he didn't create any turnover opportunities. Right. And that's what I was saying. This was probably one of his better catch ratio games, 11 for 11. Yeah. And, you know, the, the score sheet says Bateman was seven for eight, but that was a bad at ball. I don't, you know, who knows? Bateman could be seven for seven. That ball just didn't get a chance to get to Bateman. It was bad at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, that which would bring me to the next guy, Snoop. Uh, crappy, crappy start to when he first got in. But once he settled down and, you know, got the team rolling, you know, basically with the, the change of offense, he, he did his job. Got the ball out quick. Um, took shots, even though it didn't convert, you know, on the deep balls when needed to. But that did enough to keep him honest. And just was clutch with the touchdown to to Andrews. That was one of his better throws because when he turned it loose, Andrews was even with the the linebacker, and he threw him threw him open to a spot to where neither safety could get there, and the linebacker couldn't get his head around. So one of Snoop's better better throws I've seen in you know this game or the Chicago game. Right. I, I it's certainly a lot to like from him. Uh, There's it it some stuff I didn't like also, but hey, he's a effectively a first year quarterback here and and we got to be we got to be honest about our expectations reasonable about expectations not honest. are you speaking on the fumbles uh i i'm speaking i, I generally pocket presence was a problem okay. i also didn't like field generalship during the next to last drive when there was no alacrity to the offense you got to be running that at the line of scrimmage and ca- have a way to call your plays and you know if you're on the sideline and you he- and you see that's about to happen to have your offensive coordinator give you five plays and and have call the whole offense around and, and call them one two three four five and then use them right, right there from the make the most out of all of them yeah 
Yeah, and I say that about the NFL a lot, I, I, and mainly our team because we watch them all the time. But unless it's dire, dire thirty seconds, one one timeout, they don't rush to get on the ball. They don't yeah. they don't maximize that one fifty nine to fifty nine seconds. They'll get two plays in a, in a minute, and you know that to me that's a lackluster. And I know, and I, I'm saying this, I'm complaining because it's the Ravens is who I watch, but that that burns me up. Yep. Every every coach got you know one kind of signal or uh, one, uh, one word calls that you can get on the line and run. You can get on the line and run. Mm-hmm. Taking you know not maximizing your time when it's is that important is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, but I guess the NFL lingo is so long that you can't just you know run up there and say peach and everybody know what to do. But you you you, you run how many plays in the walkthrough on Friday? A t- typical Friday walkthrough. How many how many plays? So you you you, you say 60, 60, 80. Oh, for us. Yeah, about, about, about 40 to 50, depending okay. on the time. But I know the NFL walkthrough, they probably double that because it's more organized. And and if they wanted to, those walkthroughs could extend to the hotel conference room or whatever, you know, the, <laughs> the meeting room. And you could run those plays additionally with your one-word calls and say, hey, look, these are our two-minute plays this week. These are the these are the five we're going to use. We're going to call them at the line of scrimmage. I just I'm, I'm I'm frustrated by the process with the Ravens. It was a lot to ask of Huntley. Huntley did a lot of things right, but he he really didn't didn't know where the rush was coming from on a consistent basis, including that that really bad sack to take on the last drive. And it was it was hard because Villanueva you know, got run over and, mm-hmm. and basically the, the pocket was flushed. He moved back to try and run around. And then of course, uh, Tackers McKinley, Tackers McKinley, or was it the, I think it might've been Tack, uh, was a guy who took, or took mm-hmm. it down. It was a clowny. It was a clown. No, it was a, it was one of the other guys. It, it was a clown. Okay. I think clowny slanted inside. Okay. And he looped around. So bad, uh, uh, you know, bad outcome obviously, but, but to, to fumble on both of the key sacks, uh, that also was not good. You, you got to have a little more understanding about where the football is relative to where the pass rush is. Uh, took too much too long in the time in the pocket. He had an ample time and space opportunity on one of those. So uh, that was a, a tough couple of plays there. Uh, but those are my only real complaints. I mean, he ran the ball very effectively. He mm-hmm. passed the ball accurately, even though most of the time short. Yes. No. But and, and you know what? I'm not completely mad about that. Like I was talking earlier. Use that short game as your run game. Then to put sure. some good run situations on second and third down. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. And I spoke with somebody. I don't remember who it was. But same thing. Before Lamar left the game, seems like our offense is designed to go high to low. Because so when Lamar comes out of his boots or his fakes, he's always looking at the deep ball. Sure. Why not change that up and make it easier on your QB and go from low to high? So when he boot out, he you know if somebody's in his face, he got to check down quick because that's what he's looking at first. And whereas he's boot out and he has room to look downfield, then he can come from the check down up. But okay, you know, you, now, it takes more time to wait on the post. Okay, the post's not there. Let me check down to this flat route that's been sitting here three seconds doing jumping jacks. And actually, <laughs> you, can fake, you can fake that route and you can come out and hit that guy in the flats. And, you know, the post guy just running. And when they – from the box and they see that they're not covering it and they're coming off of it, then you can go for your shot over top. Uh, one of just a different, way, different way of seeing it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The, the, the uh, mobile quarterbacks have a lot of trouble booting effectively to make space and, and make time in particular because they're always the focus, the attention of that backside edge defender. Mm-hmm. So that backside edge defender is always running straight downhill at them. Lamar's never fooled anybody with a boot. He just, right. he, he just, he, he never fools an edge defender. Joe Flacco, 
that play action boot was really effective. So it's, it's actually good to be a less mobile quarterback because you, you can create real time and space doing that. And by the end of the Flacco era, every team in the division at least had seen that thing about 20 times. So they knew the keys to look for and they were, they were <laughs> catching up to it pretty regular. But to address your other point where going high to low, meaning going furthest to, to shortest, I always thought that was that should be the standard um, mode of operation for that, given that's where the big gain is. I'd want to go from high to low, but but it's it's kind of like it's high unless there's an emergency emergency with color in your face, and mm-hmm. then you're hitting that that level zero guy. I think your O line dictates that. I think if you got a decent enough O line, you can go high to low. When you're working with something special every week, as we are, you want to get that ball out the quarterback hand quick. Okay, and let, and let those those guys that are playmakers, you know, do the dirty work. You want your quarterback to to I hate to use the term, um, you know, field general and, and and just game manager. But at some point until you get hot and you're, you know, you're great on your reads, get the ball out. Get the ball out, you know, four, five, eight yards a pop. Uh, somebody misses, that six-yard throw turns into a 30-yard throw. And then now you got the defense down in the box. You're trying to go out the run and you're a short passing game. You got better lanes when you run verticals. Mm-hmm. All right. And without running game, that should be easier. But we we don't we we, we try to person that we personnel ourselves too much sometimes. <laughs> I, I think part of the problem this year has been that no one really is giving any credence to the Ravens' run game, and so they're mm-hmm. basically saying, "I dare you to run." Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Ravens have been terrible at it or anything, but they've been very bad with their running backs in terms of expected yards relative to the position of all the players on the field. Mm-hmm. at the handoff so i i you know I, I don't have an easy answer on this on this for you but uh yeah i uh i think did, did you you pick snoop right so yes. let's talk about freeman a little bit because he's given the ravens some things here he ran pretty effectively in this game i thought didn't didn't do much as a receiver mm-hmm. uh and and he's just not broken through as a yards per touch guy and i know this is uh bless you uh is something that's uh, difficult for uh, uh, you know them to do with the current offensive line being what it is, and uh, you know the, the the mess they've got. But uh, he's done he's done some positive things to run it. That's that's where I'll leave it for this game. Yeah, I, I like what Freeman has given us based off um, wear and tear, age, things like that. Because when he first came, when he first was getting carries, he was just barely getting touched and falling forward. Now he's getting to the point where he can dip and then dodge in and out of holes. His jump cut looks good. His spin is there, but it's slow, and he just don't have a burst. So he's a, definitely a shell of himself, but he, he plays hard. He, he runs tough, and he gets in and out of you know, you know, in and out of holes pretty quick. So I'm happy with based off his age and and wear and tear in the NFL. Yeah, the the production he's given us, I I feel like you know he ended up being the best out of all the people we picked up, and he's showing off now because he's getting all the PT. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's true. I mean, and and you've set the bar kind of low. I mean, uh, Murray is the fourth worst in the entire NFL in expected. Uh, sorry, uh, rush yards over expectation per carry. He's like minus point eight yards <laughs> per play or some such, and and he's thirteenth worst. Freeman is so. Part of that is not Freeman. It's the Ravens' offensive line. Them being in the position doesn't really mean the same as it means for another team being in the same position. Um, but I think that the, the the general disrespect of the running backs has reduced what Lamar brings to this offense in a very significant way. Uh, not only the running backs, the O line. Yeah, yeah. The, the disrespect to the the older running backs. 
the disrespect to the well not disrespect but to just I'm gonna whoop you up front. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with, with my base stuff, and even if I do some exotic, you can't block it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not only the backs; it's the O line too. There's you know people realizing, look, these guys can't block us, mm-hmm. and so we're gonna get after them. All right, all right. Well, I don't have MVPs after the loss. You got any other players you want to talk about before we move on? No, that's that's pretty much cover everything. We we went O line to quarterback, and I just pray Lamar is healthy enough to go, and if not, he's healthy enough to go in two weeks. There you go. All right, let's let's uh, look if we can at the mailbag because I know there's there's a lot of people who have stuff uh, out there. So let's see what we got. Do you have, happen to have Twitter up there? Able to take a look at this with uh, me? Let me see. I got Twitter up. Film okay. study. Which one is it? Uh, it's study mailbag. mailbag. Yeah. Let's see. So I'm I'm wondering what we've got here. Okay, here's one. This is from Cassidy uh, at Be More Bass. Uh, at Film Study Ravens, is, a, is the Ravens' lack of third down success more a function of their actual third down play calling and execution or efficiency in those areas on first and second down? You want to go ahead? Let me take it. A very good question. So, yeah, are they are they missing third downs because they suck on first and second down, or are they? Are they? Do they have bad third down calls that have that have held them back? I think they've actually been better the last couple of weeks. By the way, on third down, uh, they were not better in this game. This game was was horrific. Dan Reese uh, gave me a stat on this. Cleveland was six for thirteen on third down, and they gained four tenths of one expected point. So basically, the Ravens played them to an even standstill on third down relative to what their expectation would have been relative to the norm. But the Ravens relative to their opportunities, lost 14 points on third down, on 12 third down plays. That's, that's, you can't leave money out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. You can't, you can't leave money out there. And I, I think uh, going back to both of her points, they kind of work off each other. We had crappy first and second downs and put us in third and longs. We are hard on third and longs. So, you know, at any point, whether it be from two bad plays or a good play and a penalty, we, for some reason, can't handle third and long. And, you know, it's a combination of all that until we, you know, execute on third and long. That'll, they're going to keep putting us in, in those situations. They're going to play heavy on the run. And when they get you in a third and long situation, they're going to give you some form of v- zero blitz, whether they come or not. It's going to give you some kind of tough, you know, two-level blitz. Yeah, that's a great point in particular about the high-variance plays the Ravens are experiencing on, on offense. This, if you look at the 2019 offense, this, this really had was run from a very low variance perspective, meaning they're avoiding the key plays that get drive stopped. And those are penalties. You mentioned those. Those are sacks. And the Ravens in 2019, they didn't get sacked very often. Lamar didn't. Mm-hmm. And when he did, it was usually a yard or two. Now they've had much more varied and bad sack results on earlier down. Losses for run in the run game. Losses, losses in the run game, I should say. Mm-hmm. They've had some of those this year. They had very few in 2019. Um, uh, strings of incomplete passes. Well, he didn't even throw that many passes in 2019. <laughs> right. So he didn't have a whole bunch of strings of incomplete passes. And it ended up being they had a lot of third and medium that turned into fourth and short, or, or they just converted on third and medium, or, you know, maybe four is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, it, it was very manageable offense in that way. They really looked at third and four as having two downs to make it. Um, certainly, uh, when, they, when you look back at 2019, um, you can kind of tell what play was coming based off the bat. And but we were just so, you know, so versed at it that whatever you did up front, we could fix it. If Gus was in, it was some kind of dive. 
if any of the other backs were in, maybe Ingram, well, not Ingram, I don't know if Ingram was here at that time. Um, it was some kind of counter type situation. And then you had uh, whoever the shifty guy was back. Was it Montgomery, maybe? Um, we had a faster guy. Montgomery's on the 18 team. Uh, well, whoever our speed type person was, then, you know, he was going to do the outside zone power read type stuff. So whichever back was in, you, you might have been Hill, maybe. Maybe. That's who's going to do the power read stuff. And somebody can get to the edge. And I think what we're missing is a guy that can get to the edge. So the power read game is really not as effective. They're just crashing the mesh point. Mesh point. Mm-hmm. And then your other backs are pretty much downhill and maybe one couldn't go. You don't have a, a juice guy. You know, that's where losing heel hurts. Yeah, it, it hurt. I mean, I, I think the, they do have the solution on the roster if they really want to try it, and that's Duvernay. He's the speed yeah. guy who could play out of the backfield in sidecar and give you that edge presence. But they, they want to use him as a – as a. Um, they've done that one time this year, by the way, but they, they want to use him as a jet motion guy. But you have other guys who can run jet motion. Watkins yeah. can run jet motion. Bateman could run jet motion. you got lots of guys who could do it uh, if you want to. Brown, you know, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> all right but you gotta you gotta empty all your your, your, your gifts out yeah and, that, and that's the one that's your one explosive guy that potentially has a running back body you gotta give it a try yeah yeah i think and and it's not like he's so critical to the passing game he's he's a, he's he's useful to the passing mm-hmm. game but they've got other weapons it, 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 they could really really use him as a running back right now and it it you know i was on the lounge accidentally said you know, a number that was too high to say 10 plays per game. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it four times per game, three mm-hmm. times per game. Make the other offensive, sorry, the defensive coordinators in the league think, uh-oh, we better defend against that. We better have a way. And that at least will waste part of their effort in doing some things <laughs> they don't need to do. You know? Need some alerts when this guy's in the backfield. There you go. There you go. I got one more question here if you want me to read it. Okay, go ahead. Um, what do you make of the play call on the fourth down sh- short throw to Bateman at the end of the game? Did you think it gave us much of a chance? Uh, he says he didn't think it gave him much of a chance himself, and that's from Adam Costanzo. Yeah, that, you know, Snoop said in his interview uh, that was his hot read, and I still think it was bad execution by whoever the slot receiver is to screen, um, I think it was Ward, to screen Ward off so he couldn't make the tackle. He ran his route right at him, and as Ward triggered, he just went on to his secondary part of his route. Instead, he should instead he should have made Ward either collision him or ran at him to where Ward stopped his feet and had to go, you know, underneath or above. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an easy incompletion, but the lack of execution on that, you know, triggered me. And also, I saw the route Mark ran on the bottom of the screen, but he potentially was looking for a jump ball because he had a one on one. That's a shame. It's a shame the ball didn't get thrown past the sticks always in that situation. And especially the, you know, the last fourth and six before that, of course, was they, they, they took a wide open shot down the field. It wasn't a wide open shot. They took a difficult shot down the field outside the numbers to Bateman, which really is a lot of trust in the receiver to go get that football. True. And I said that the throw to Andrew for the touchdown was his best throw. That play was his best throw. That play was outside shoulder away from the, um, the DB, but in inbounds, that that was his best throw. How how much of that credit do you give to Bateman on that play, re, uh, adjusting to the football and tracking it in the air? I give I give Bateman more credit on the first one. Okay, with that with that ball we're talking about now, Snoop threw a, a amazing ball with the ball Bateman should have scored on and should have caught a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bateman was fairly covered, but Snoop put enough air on it and threw it in a place where Bateman could adjust to it. The, the throw is the better throw, 
you know, the last the last one we talked about, the later one, that's the better throw. But I think Bateman's catch is the, the, the better catch because the throw wasn't very good on that one. But, you know, we both got good results out of it. Throwing to him in those jump ball situations or the 50-50 situations. You can either make a good throw and he can catch it, or you can make a bad throw and he can, he can make it a good throw. This is we're seeing at least three different things I really love from Bateman so far. And you've mentioned a couple of them here already on this show. What one is that he he's a contested catch guy. It seems to be that doesn't mind to have a close defender. It doesn't really seem to bother him as much can go up on a high point, the football. That's a, that's certainly a positive. The second I talked about earlier is, is what he does to the cornerback at the top of the route tree. I think he shows a lot of wiggle and he can get some guys to make, to move wrong. Uh, which is which is big positive. Number three, I'll give you. I love what he's done in emergency situations with Lamar, with those extended pockets when they had extended pockets. You know, mm-hmm. I remember you know, six weeks ago the Ravens used to have extended pockets once in a while, and <laughs> <laughs> and that was a nice thing. And, and and Bateman getting free late was a nice thing. So anyway, hopefully we we see some of these things get corrected. And and next year, if not this year, uh, you know, they I get see one on here uh, from Spencer. Spencer mm-hmm. Peterson says, where does the early Western DPI rank in pantheon of bad flags against the Ravens? Considering the quality of the flag itself, magnitude of the call, ultimate impact on the game, et cetera. I think it set the tone for the rest of the game. Because if they don't get those yardage, they don't get that yardage, I think we hold them to three or better yet, even make a punt. And that sets a different tone in the ball game. It was a it was a very very bad call, and the fact that the the official on site wasn't really watching where Landry's arm was is bad. It's it's got to be one of the things they look for, and maybe it's got to be something the sky judge can intervene on and say, hey, look, his arm was all the way around the thing. He's, he was not trying to catch that football. He's trying to drag down Westry on that play. Uh, and then I th- think it was more clear in terms of when it was during the game. I can't really put it on the same level as some of these late defensive holding calls or lost games to New England in the past or, you know, things like that. I can't put it on the same level as, as that. But it's 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 a bad call in a divisional game that was very important to the Ravens. How about that? Yeah. Not not on not on the top shelf, but definitely on the shelf. Sure. <laughs> Coach just love talking football with you. The hour races by here again. We're over and that's fine. Uh, we, we love to have you whenever we can. Thanks for being on so much lately. Really, oh, really no been good. No and, you know, you're stepping in for other people, which I really appreciate. <laughs> but also, uh, you know, the, the, you know, you're always available to talk football and it's always a, a, a fun night, even after a loss like this. Yeah, I feel like um, Vaughn from um, Major League when the ref come out. Let me find. That's me. There you go. Wow, thing coming out the dugout. There you go. All right, man. Uh, tell folks again where they can find your stuff. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me, Coach Evans Nine, and on um, YouTube, Sip the Tally Films uh, video vlog coming out with all twenty-two and the end zone view. Check me out. Okay, S S I P number two number two tally t a l l y uh it's it's i know a lot of people don't really get that but hopefully they'll they'll check you out or they'll ask you online uh what your what your thing is but he's got some great content out there make sure you give him a shot uh other folks out there if you're looking to do a 25 years episode with me get your idea in quickly we're we're running right to the end line here uh and uh give me a single idea in a direct message are all open and something narrow that we can get to in 20, 20 to 25 minutes at the, at the top end. But we had some great ideas. I've been thinking about extending it. Um, let's see them keep coming. And, uh, and I love to have you on coach. Thanks again for being the guy again tonight. No problem. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
And we'll talk to you next time on All Film right. Stuff. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.